This is ESPN New Hampshire, WGAM, Manchester, WGHM, Nashua. Two on the way, and a swing and a miss. He struck him out. And the Brewers win. Back-to-back -back wins for the crew. Back-to-back -back saves for Tyler Thornburg. Makes a winner out of Brent Suter tonight. His second big league win. 5-4 Milwaukee. Yeah, I a brand new love Honestly, I was uh, pretty surprised. Um, I don't sleep in that often. Um, but ended up, you know, waking up around 10-something, um, grabbed my phone, saw I had a lot of missed texts and calls, and uh, kind of figured something happened. Um, but definitely excited for the opportunity. Um, you know, a legitimate shot at winning the World Series with them. Um, definitely enjoyed my time in Milwaukee, but uh, couldn't be more excited for this opportunity in Boston. All Friday night when I got back home, six o'clock-ish from Rick, asking if we were going to be in, uh, that he was going to move them, he felt at this point. After the CBA, they were committed to making some moves in the organization. Did we have interest? I said, well, of course, we'd have interest in Chris Sale. Anybody in baseball would have interest in Chris Sale. I said, well, we're prepared to give up a lot, which we know. And then we talked numerous times over the last few days. So it really accelerated, started on Friday with this deal. Uh, you know, it was somewhat unexpected, particularly this time of the year, because there's really nothing pressing to to exercise it. But uh, I'm grateful for the confidence that Dave Dombrowski and John Henry and our ownership group have shown. So uh, there's a lot of good things that are happening in Boston. And, uh, you know, this past season was really a breakout for a number of young guys. And yeah. we're looking forward to that growth continuing. And welcome back to the stretch run here on ESPN New Hampshire. I'm your host, Jimmy Murphy. Timmy Buttons working the boards here, filling in for Justin Selvin. Who, ironically, we were just talking Celtics playing in Orlando Magic. That's where Justin Sullivan is down in Orlando right now. And I, I think at last word, he was, uh, he's going to the game. He's going to hang out there and uh, check out the Celtics playing the Magic. So, uh, Justin, if you're listening, we miss you. Have fun tonight and uh, hopefully bring the Celtics a win. But we are going to talk some baseball right now. And, man, did the the Red Sox steal the new cycle of the week around here in terms of Boston sports. And on to talk about their moves yesterday and what they still might do or might not do uh, is our good friend Mike Shalin of the Associated Press. Mike, how you doing? How are you, Murph? I'm doing well, my friend. Uh, how's, the, uh, how's the fall, you know, now as we transition into winter? How's that all been going for you? Well, I just got back from Orlando myself. I had a family wedding to go to. Oh, you poor thing. It was nice to, uh, well, the thing was, it was 50 when I left here, you know, so really oh, wasn't, okay. didn't have the same effect, you know, but it was, uh, it was nice. It was nice to get away for a little bit. Yeah, nice. Now, uh, the wedding, was it a, a family relative, you said, or no? Yes, it was, uh, uh, I mean, and, um, we had like, I don't know, three days down there and made some good food and, and, um, uh, Specifically, didn't talk about politics, and everything was fine. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, we don't need politics at all. And 
Uh, so you come back, and all of a sudden, ba-boom, the winter meetings are here, Ooh. and ba-boom, the Red Sox are uh, stealing the show. And in one day, they essentially address every need they had. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and yet, Mike, as I open the show with uh, talking about this, there's still many disgruntled fans and media around here criticizing them. How can you give up these prospects? What are you doing? Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, your take on this, I, I mean, is this just a case of uh, of people always wanting to complain, or is there some some credence to some of this? Well, there's always you know, there's always a doubt when you when you give up top prospects. I think I read yesterday that it's been 20 years since uh, the number one prospect in baseball has been traded. Uh, but I, um, you know, I go back to the great Bob Murphy in, in New York, and I think it was Bob Murphy who once when I, I, Willie Mays might have made a great catch, and he called it highway robbery in broad daylight. And that's um, that's kind of the way I look at this. You know, you got a chance to, to not only go out and get the best pitcher in the league or one of the best pitchers in the league, but to have him on the contract at, at relatively dirt cheap on today's standards, um, you have to go. You have to do it. I mean, there's no, you know, I, I wrote today that, that uh, Dombrowski uh, runs his team kind of like a fantasy team, which is good when you've got, pay, when you've got money behind you. Uh, he came in yesterday, as you said. He needed a starter, he needed a reliever, he needed a first baseman. He got all three in the same day. So um, they're still, the cupboard's not there down below. Uh, the Sam Travis is in the world, they're still around. And um, I wonder a little bit if if the Moncada meltdown at the end of the season last year might have pushed them a little bit. I don't think mm-hmm. so, but you never know. Uh, you know, we struck out, was it, nine or ten times in a row? Yep. But, you know, I. I if I got a chance to make my team the best team in the league, I'm going to do it. Right. You know, as opposed to, as opposed to not knowing what's down the road. You know, Popet had a little bit of a discipline problem in the minor league last year. He had a fight with a teammate or something last year, and uh, yeah, he throws 103, four, five, whatever miles an hour. So, uh, listen, the, the White Sox proved that they were not going to give Stale away for nothing. And when they were talking to the Astros, the Astros would give up Bregman. When they were talking to the Nationals, the Nationals wouldn't give up Trey Turner. But when they were talking to the Red Sox, Dombrowski was right there to to, uh, to say, listen, we, we'll give up a lot. And that's potentially, I remember potentially, they gave up a lot. But you look at you look at what they've done to this Boston team, and uh, I, I heard yesterday that their, their odds in Las Vegas went from 10-1 to 1 to 5-1. to 1, and That was even before they added the first baseman. So... Uh, I think it's one of the big games in, in Red Sox history. I really do. I think it's, it's phenomenal what they did. I think it's awesome. I, I, I'm with you. And, you know, uh, I, we had Lou Merloni on yesterday, and he, he made some good points yesterday. He made them again today and, and went a bit further, uh, you know, countering these people. They're saying, well, how can you give up these prospects? And the, and he said, and then, you know, where they're knocking Dombrowski. And, and like, I agree with you, to Like, I mean, if he has the money, he's going to go out and get the star power, and he's going to put together mm-hmm. that fantasy team. But there's been times, uh, Mike, where Dombrowski has not had the money and has done what he could with what he had and built teams into contender, namely in Montreal and in Florida. Yes, he, 
he left or was uh, unceremoniously let go before his work came to fruition and those teams contended. But he was still a major part of building that 94 Montreal Expos team and a major part of building the 2003 Marlins. And, you know, this isn't a guy that has strictly been, I'm here to sign the big name guy at whatever it costs. No, this is a guy that does respect prospects. This is a guy that knows how to build a system. But he looks at this team right now, and you alluded to it a bit right now. You know, you look at the Red Sox, right? And you look at their lineup, and the bulk of their lineup is really young, right? Uh-huh. And a, a lot of them are, are you know, maybe even a, a bit ahead of where they thought they would be in terms of their major league development and being such a key part of a, of a roster. And, uh-huh. and because of that, are you going to hold on to prospects in the minor leagues that are going to have to sit there and wait it out while Bogarts or, or Mookie Betts rip it up for the next 10 years and let them rot in the minor leagues because there's just simply no room for them on a the team? Or are you going to take these commodities and use them to address the needs you have and make your team an even more immediate contender than they already were? And he obviously chose the latter, and I don't, I don't understand why that could be viewed as the wrong choice. Well, I do, and that's that people tend to be negative. Yep. There's a negative atmosphere in the world right now, and we don't know why, but that's a whole other story. And um, <laughs> I think that um, when you when you look at the top three pitchers on this staff, they're all under control three years mm-hmm. and, or, and and longer. I mean, Price can opt out, I guess, after 18. But, um, you know, pitching... Pitching, you know, people are making a big fuss over the bullpen, and the Thornburg thing was very, was really an under the radar move. That's going to be tremendous. That's he's going to be what Carson said was supposed to be last year, and he's also a guy who, if something doesn't happen to Kimball, uh, he can he can close. Um, you gotta you, you you assemble a rotation. You gotta remember that the Red Sox still don't have a pitcher on their staff that has ever won a postseason game as a starter. Now we can't forget that. Sales never been to the postseason. Yep. Price has been a monumental failure in the postseason. Or Stella has not been good in the postseason. So, um, but you got to get to the postseason. And you know, as the Cubs prove this year, uh, your time will come at some point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, I'm looking. I'm looking at a. I'm looking at a rotation. You know where you know a, a, a guy that people completely forgot about is Stephen Wright, who was a. You know, he was an all-star last year. Buckholz has always been terrific when he's actually been out there, um, you know, and healthy. Eduardo Rodriguez? Still got Rodriguez. You've got Kelly, who can now be in the bullpen. Pomerantz could go in the bullpen. Pomerantz could go in the bullpen. you got Brandon Workman at some point coming back from his Tommy John. Uh, there's so much depth there. I wouldn't be surprised it's, if they traded a pitcher for, for nothing. What happened? No, I'm just laughing as you list these these, these options that they have now. Yeah. It's like it's insane. Yeah, it's, crazy. <laughs> it's, it's crazy, and, and, and I think I think the bullpen is deep. And, and you know, I'm looking around the field, and you know, Marlon had a little bit of an off year last year, but still hit 22 homers, and he's a good fielder. Uh, anybody who's seen that picture on Twitter of, of Sandoval, uh, you know, he looks like a different human being, or half of the human being he was. Uh, so you got to give him a shot to play third base. You've got you've got Holt and you've got Young as quality uh, backups. Swihart's got to get them to bat somewhere because he's he's a quality major leaguer. Um, I don't see any 
any need for this team between now and, and, and spring training or all day. I think they're fine. I think you took care of it. You know, like I remember when uh, when I, I used to do more Christmas shopping, you would go out and try to take care of it in one day. Well, that's exactly what he's done. He went out and took care of it in one day. Yesterday was uh, Dombrowski's Black Friday, so to speak, I guess. Yep. And yep. he did it. It wasn't as cheap as maybe Black Friday, but it, it, it worked. <laughs> um, you know, it was funny. I, I saw uh, the little story. I don't know if you saw there. Cashman uh, referring to them now as mm-hmm. Major League Baseball's Golden State Warriors. I thought that was yep. very appropriate. And, and, you know, to, on that note, um, before we let you go here, let, let's talk about those Yankees there. And, you know, there was a day when – you know, maybe the Yankees were the team doing what the Red Sox did yesterday, and then the Red Sox would counter, and then it went back and forth throughout the season or every year by year. But from what I saw in those quotes from Cashman yesterday, it's not exactly going to be like that right now. How far are they away from getting back into that sort of tit-for-tat game with the uh, Red Sox? Or or did he ever plan on doing that again? Well, you know, uh, the, the the old man's gone, and that that uh, you know, once George died, that that, uh, that changed everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are business; uh, they run their business very well, and they they make a lot of money. I thought they should have tried to get in on the sales thing with all the prospects they picked up last year. Again, I don't know if they had anybody as good as Moncada, um, but uh, and now that they're trying to sign Chapman, there's talk they might be getting David Robertson back from the White Sox. For a couple of prospects, uh, I like their young players, you know, and they're trying, they're trying to weed out. You know, you got to remember, remember they still have to pay A-Rod for his final season. Uh, Sabathia has another year left. So they're trying to, they're trying to call, you know, the, the, the big, heavy contracts. And, um, I, I, you know, obviously it all depends on what happens with their young players. Bird comes back after missing a year uh, with shoulder surgery. Sanchez obviously looked like he, you know, at the end of last year is going to be a star, but we know there's often some leveling off in, in year two. They got rid of much of McCann's contract. They got a, they got a young double play combination that's very good. They need a third baseman, and, and uh, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they do something along those lines. Uh, and they need they need some more pitching. There's no question about it. But you can turn things around pretty quick if you're not really one of the one of the lower echelon money. Yankees will, you know, the Yankees will never become the Oakland A's. That's not going to happen, right? So, uh, but the what the Red Sox did yesterday was a legitimate haymaker for the rest of the division. No question about it. You know, I've been hearing a lot, uh, I'm not, and I don't know how familiar you are with it, I'm not, I have not, I'll, I'll admit right up front, I have not done my due diligence uh, researching it, but it's been brought up a lot in the last 24 hours, obviously, with the, the Red Sox moves and some of the other big moves at the meetings, and that is uh, the effects, the immediate effects of the new CBA. And some of the things I keep hearing is that teams are more worried about the luxury tax right now. Do you know why that is? I mean, why all of a sudden it would become, get more to the forefront there? It's business, you know, and, and the, the tax on the new agreement, uh, the way I read it, the tax will go up from 189 incrementally over five years. Okay. Um, you know, I think it, I think it, I might have read somewhere that it'll top off at about 210 or 208 or something like that. Um, but the Yankees have been trying to get below it for some time. Now, the Dodgers obviously don't care. Um, I think, you know, listen, you, you pay top dollar once you get over the uh, once you get over the tax uh, ceiling. So it's, um, you know, again, it's, it's 
it's a business. And the thing is, when you look at the Red Sox, and you look at the number, like you said earlier, the number of young players that they have aren't getting the big money. Mm-hmm. Um, they're in good shape. They're in good shape all the way around. No question about it. And um, uh, I, I think that um, the Yankees, the Yankees' goal was—I think they were the first ones really who came out and said that's our goal to get below, to get below the 189, which has been the match for okay. some time. But um, I think that. Um, one thing I'm, I'm happy with, which I think will make the, the coming off season after this one more fun, is taking away that, that uh, first-round draft. Mm. Um, I think that that's cut down on a lot of the, the off-season fun. Teams don't want to give up. Now the Colorado uh, Rockies today did do that. When they signed Ian Desmond, they gave away the 11th pick. But you, know, you look at the offense that that team's putting together, and they're a scary group, you know, mm. and, and it's nice to see. It's nice to see all you know as many teams as we can see playing the game. You know, mm. you don't want to. You don't want to be a fan of the Oakland Athletics. You know, it's just it's no fun. You know, that's that's not what you're here for. And there's a way to do it. Uh, I think the Royals are a great example of that. There's a way to do it without going crazy. And yeah. The Royals today traded Wade Davis, but I think they know that uh, that, that, that that they're well fortified enough to keep it going and. Um, and, and keep that window from slipping away, if you will. Yeah, and look, but, at, the, uh, look at the Indians, uh, too. And the Indians. You know, yeah. the Indians are sitting now. Are they going to sign Encarnacion? Are they going to sign uh, Trumbo? Uh, are they going to bring Napoli back? Whatever they're going to do, you got to realize that the Indians did what they did last year without their best hitter for all but 11 games and losing their numbers two and three starters uh, right at the worst time of the year. So uh, they'll, be, they'll be healthy. And ready to go, and if you put the Encarnacion in the middle of that lineup with Brantley, oh, uh, in that, that park that, too, that pretty, yeah, that could be pretty scary. Yeah, yeah, for sure, that's gonna be interesting. How about uh, do you see the uh, thing with the Orioles uh, wouldn't sign? Duquette said they won't sign Batista because the fans don't like him. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> in other words, we tried, but it didn't work. <laughs> Listen, I had to, I was forced to root for Phil Esposito, Cal Vatos, <laughs> and Derek Sanderson, and Kenny Hodges, and Cashman as Rangers. So if if I could move to Derek, God, I told I, I told Derek this once that I had a rubber chicken with a with a, a noose around its neck that I hung around, hung out of the uh, first lawn of the Madison Garden, and then all of a sudden he becomes a ranger later in his career. So you root for the you root for the laundry in, 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 in a bit of rare case. But I mean, look at Bob's in New York. I mean, we've seen it so many times over the years. So uh, I don't. I think if the Orioles think that that Batista can help them, I don't think the fans are going to be a problem, especially since they didn't show up anyway. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And, you know, you bring it, I'm glad you brought up hockey there, too, because I wanted to ask you before I let you go about your Rangers there. Uh, they, they got off to a roaring start. I, I like the way they're playing. I like their system. They're fast. Uh, they're high-octane. But they're hitting some bumps right now, Mike. What's what's going on? Well, they're hurt. For one thing, they lost uh, they lost uh, Savannah Jazz. Yep. Uh, to a broken leg, they lost Bucinevich, who had just scored uh, four straight games. They, he's out for a month with a back thing. Nash got hurt last night. DC's uh, hobbling around. He missed practice today. So, you know, one of the things about being a fast team is you tend to get hurt. Yeah. And I think uh, I think there's a little bit of that going on. But I look at the I look at the first quarter of the season. They had a good start last year, too, but they weren't playing as well as they had this year. Yeah. And uh, one problem they have, and uh, Boston fans can relate to this, is that 
Hayes is kind of disappearing on him. And uh, <laughs> the fans know a little bit about that. But, uh, you know, uh, the Rangers Hayes was, was playing really well for, for a long time, and he's kind of disappeared. But, it's, you know, it's a long season in that league, and, and see, you know, almost every day you're hearing about somebody who's going to be gone for two, three weeks. And, uh, yeah. The road just wants Molesky for six years, not that he's uh, yeah. you know, a star, but you, you, you can't, you, it's hard to keep your team, keep your, your team together. And, and, and especially when they opened up that center run area, the game has gotten faster, and that lends itself to more, uh, more injuries, unfortunately. For sure, for sure. It was a scary one in Jersey last night. I was glad uh, Nielsen yeah. was okay there, uh, or Larson, that's, excuse that's me. Another, that's another thing, too, with Larson. Yeah, that's another thing, too. Uh, every hit now in the NHL has to, brings retribution, which is Whether stupid. Clean, which are, that was a, that was a clean not. hit by Taylor Hall and Larson Absolutely. last night. Absolutely, and they went and they went after him. You see it, you see it all the time. Jimmy Hayes did it. Yeah, uh, no, it's I hate it. And, yeah, and it's like, whoa, wait a minute. Can you imagine uh, bringing up a name from the past, Ed Van Im, you know, uh, uh, delivering one of his clean checks or Barkley Plager. One of those guys. Yeah, I mean it's it's become it's become very very scary that you have to have retribution. And I think the the, the next rule that I would put in that game is you're out of the game if you fight. Yeah, and and if and it, you know because the the answer to that uh, over the years has been well, what's to keep a goon from suckering a good player in their fight? Well, that's got to be up to the referee. Oh, that the referee will. feels. If, you know, if, if the referee feels there's an aggressor, he's got five and he's gone, and the other guy's got double double minor for roughing, and you take care of it that way. I'm with you. And I, and I think that's the only And, and that's not do. saying getting fighting out of the game, because I think that if, say, there was a cheap shot, and there was a bad hit, and it was dirty, and your teammate gets hurt, well, then you know what? I'll take that ejection. Mm-hmm. I'll go over there, and I'll fight the guy, and I don't care. But it's worth it. It's worth it to me. But it, this whole stage, yeah, that will get rid of the stage fighting. We'll see what happens. But listen, the problem, the, the, the problem is too that they missed too many of the of the obvious calls. Yeah, and I think the I think the NHL refs do a great job, but they 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 tend to miss. You know, you'll hear a guy was suspended and there wasn't a penalty on the play. Well, how's that possible? Yeah, you know, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And I I think it's like uh, it's like football that you know, like uh, when uh, what's his name uh, Bradford got hit in the head. Uh-huh. On that two point conversion the other day, just gotta you gotta have somebody upstairs buzzing down and saying, "Listen, you guys missed a slap and they give them another chance." Yeah, and I'd like to see that in hockey. Too. We shall see. We shall see, my man. Always good talking to you, Mike. Uh, hope to see you around, my friend. Anytime, Murph. Happy holidays. It's Mike Shalen, Associated Press and Manchester Union leader, and many other outlets join us here. And who know we could get such good hockey talk in a baseball segment there? See, th- th- that's that's the stretch run. No matter what, there's always going to be hockey involved and related, right, Timmy? Especially bringing up Barkley Plager. Oh, my God. <laughs> Bob was the real dirty crap of the three. Barkley, Bob, and Bill. Yeah. Bob was the one who didn't have talent, so he whacked you and tried to get you know, an Esposito off the ice. Yeah. yeah. I have no clue. Before my time, my friend. Before my time. You'll have to tell me about it over a beer sometime. Hey, listen, the stretch run will be back. Timmy and I are going to we'll do a little banter. You want to join us? Uh, give us a call. 603-883-9900, 603-883-9900. The Stretch Run will be back on ESPN New Hampshire.
think that South Paradise was right Boys and girls in America They're such a sad time together Sucking on each other under demonstrations Making sure they make us straight Crushing one another with colossal expectations Depending on discipline, sleep and wait She was a really cool kisser And she wasn't all that strict of a Christian She was a damn good dancer But she wasn't all that great of a girlfriend Welcome back to the Stretch Run here on ESPN New Hampshire. Jimmy Murphy, your host. Timmy Button's working the boards. And, uh, Timmy, you dig that music come in, eh? I like this one. Yeah, yeah, it has a 90s feel to it, but it's much newer than that. Yeah, and they got quite a bit of instruments going on there, too. I, I, I've been listening to them a little more lately. They're called the Hold Steady. And they, they're, they started up around 2004. And uh, they're starting to make a little comeback. And they were on, uh, I saw them the other night. That's what got me listening to them again. That one of those late night shows. I think it was Fallon and one of those guys. And uh, yeah, they're they're gonna start touring again. So I'm psyched to uh, maybe catch them on the road. And uh, a good band indeed. And um, we're just talking. Uh, but we're only here. thinking of one song. Uh, it's in my sleep now. Pasta, pasta, pasta. Oh my gosh! It, uh, it's. I think I go to the bathroom. We, we got some response and, uh, and, to that. I on, think I'm uh, shaving to the night. rhythm yeah. of the pasta, pasta, pasta yeah. with my yeah. razor. We uh yeah we might we've got to do that. I am going to be actually uh, later tonight. I'm meeting up with um, some old friends uh, that work with the uh, Avalanche and and my friend who covers the Avalanche, Mike Chambers. He's uh, in flight right now from Chicago. Um, I don't know how. Like he said, he got rerouted to Chicago, coming from Nashville to Boston. That stinks. Wow. The, o- the only bad. Where's the weather right now? That the only that? one I can think of that. Would do that to you. Southwest. Might be Southwest. Yeah, it's got to be Southwest. Although there's one advantage to Southwest versus everything else that flies, for example, out of the Manchester Boston yeah, Regional yeah. Airport. You go to the downtown airport. Uh-huh. Oh, it's so much easier than O'Hare. Yeah. O'Hare might be a great airport, but it's huge. Yeah. And, you know, all kinds of things. The gate numbers can change. All kinds of crap can happen to you. Yeah. When you fly, and so, like, we have United nonstop to Chicago. That's what I personally use. Yeah. I don't fly that often, so when I do, I pay for a first-class ticket and fly United. Uh, and they have a 6 p.m. at night coming back flight, seven oh. days a week. So you do whatever you're doing in Chicago, and you get on at 6 o'clock, and you land in Manchester at 9 o'clock at night, and, you know, easy to get your car and stuff. Nice. But Southwest goes to the downtown airport. Wow. Cool. And there's, a new, there's a new one out of Boston that's going to the downtown airport in Toronto. Is it Porter? Yeah. Yeah. Port, yeah. Port is good. Yeah. I like them. Port is good for sure. So, yeah, Mike Chambers, Denver Post. We're actually going to get him on the show tomorrow. 
uh, to tee up the Avalanche Bruins game tomorrow night. The Bruins will be back in Boston hosting the Avalanche tomorrow night at TD Garden. Uh, so we'll get an Avalanche perspective from Mike Chambers. But him and I are going out with a, a couple of the, uh, the Avs brass tonight. We're going to be uh, taking in some uh, dinner in the Bruins game at Tresca, which is Ray Bork's fine establishment. And uh, number 77 might be in the house himself. So could Hanover a, Street, I could have right? a good hockey night out of me, man. I'm, yeah, um, Hanover Street, right? I yes. Think rings yep, a bell. Yep. yep. It's delicious food. Delicious food indeed. And you know that I'm gluten-free because of the celiac there, and they have uh, – Full gluten-free menu, on like, which is rare in the North End. I mean, you know, pasta is one of the things I can't have anymore because of the flour. So uh, they've got the full gluten-free menu there. So I'm pretty psyched for that. But, uh, yeah, Mike Chambers. Quickly, you know what? We've we got a couple minutes here, uh, and then we got to cut to break. But qu- a, a quick story about uh, Chambers, and you'll, you'll appreciate this. So I meet Chambers via Twitter. Um, he had put up... Uh, a trade rumor or something, and I rebutted it and said, well, my sources are telling me different. We went back and forth a little back, and so he, he direct messaged me. He's like, hey, man, what's going on? I, I feel like I goofed up. I'm like, no, hey, I might have goofed up too. Either one of us could be. So we both got to the bottom of it and got the whole story straight together, right? And then we, we just sort of became friends through that. So when I'm living up in Montreal... Uh, he's in town covering the avalanche one time and, and long story, uh, I was doing the show for Sirius XM and I did it. Our studio was hooked on to a sports pub on the West Island of Montreal. And, um, I said, why don't you come in studio and then sit in for the show, you know, and then we'll go into the bell center together to cover the game. He comes in and it's great. Well, uh, as we walk out, we're like, you know, let's grab a beer quick before we go in to uh, take the train to the bell center. We sit down at the bar. My uh, friend who runs the bar, um, Steve Trainer, is like, hey, God, hey, come over here and meet this, this guy. And he's like, who's this? It's Mike Chambers, different post. And he says, oh, we'll meet, meet Dave Jackson, NHL referee. I've heard of Dave Jackson, right? So Dave is originally from the West Island there. He's now based in Denver. So Mike and him through that day, become like best buddies. Their kids play together now in the hockey out there and everything. And we all, it's just like this big circle we have. And so we can, we hung out all together at the Winter Classic last year. We've hung out a couple times in uh, Montreal. But I'll tell you, the stories Dave Jackson has. You can imagine an NFL, an NHL referee and just the stuff they deal with and uh, the crap they get from the players and just all the, the stuff he tells us about some of the things the players say and do. But... You know, he said, uh, uh, we were talking about Ray Bork there, and he said, Ray would tell you what he thought, but it also agree with you when he thought you were right, and he'd always give you credit, you know, whereas a lot of players are just complete jerks. I didn't have to worry about that. I had the completely molded mask, I had a Jacques Plante mask, breathed through the straw, and they made me a fiberglass mask. So no one knows I'm talking. Man, the stuff I used to say to Bill Friday, oh, I was just vicious. Stuff about his wife and various things I was oh. going to do. But he can't get mad because I'm not showing him up. Yeah. I'm not standing there with my head bobbing up and down and people see me do it. But every time he's skating by, and he refereed a game I played in. Oh, I was just, he was beat red mad at me, but he couldn't quite call that penalty. Because the whole world would wonder, why is yeah. he calling the penalty? Yeah. Is he stiffing the home team? So uh, Cincinnati Stiggers said, yeah, that molded mask of yours. The other two guys had cage masks. 
You know, yeah, that, he, that works out, don't it? He he got to ref a couple games at the tail end of Eric Lindros' career. And I, you listen to my show, and you know I'm not a fan of Lindros. Him and uh, he told me, and then Paul Stewart, who refed a lot of games during Eric Lindros' game, and a couple other referees, nobody had anything nice to say about Eric Lindros. I mean, they get the stuff you did. To Friday, like they get that, that's part of it, and it's not personal. It's just, it's on ice stuff, and it, it stays there. With Lindros, it never stayed there, apparently. And that just supports my theory about him. It's not a class act. And Mark Recchi should have been in the Hall of Fame before Eric Lindros, and that, that's why. But you know what? Maybe we'll get Dave Jackson or another former NHL referee on the uh, show to tell some stories like that sooner or later. But uh, stay with us here. We're going to come back. We're going to talk some football and some New England Patriots. Uh, We're getting closer. Monday Night Football next week. The Ravens are in Foxborough to take on the Patriots, and we'll talk about that with Phil Perry of Comcast Sportsnet New England. So stay with us. The Stretch Run will be back. On off Brady's wide hip is the quarterback. Waits on the snap. He takes it. He's looking left. He's throwing left. Back shoulder for Hogan. Made the catch inside the pylon. Touchdown Patriots. What a play. Brady to Hogan. New add to the lead. And the little things. A little chip by Dion Lewis. He's the upset back to Brady's left. Blitz coming off the edge. He goes down low just to get that defender and allows Tom to hit the back foot. And a perfect perfect scripted throw the back shoulder catch to Chris Hogan at that left pylon for the 14 yard touchdown he's about a yard short maybe less than that of the first down of the Patriots with a decision to make in Rams territory. I don't even think about this. You send your bigs in, you go for it here. Well, the bigs are doing. coming in. Brady's under center, out of the eye. Fourth and inches, a give to Blunt, runs it right, bounces it outside. First down and more, right side on 35-30. Blunt to the 25-20, Blunt to the 10, Blunt to the 5, Blunt to the pylon. Reaching across, touchdown, Patriots. Yeah, boy, that's Blunt Force charm off the right side. This is a great job sealing the edge. And we've seen it all year by number 29. His ability to get up to the tackle, keep the feet, bounce it outside, turn the corner. 13 weeks in, and there's still so much gas left in LeGarrette Blunt's tank. 43-yard touchdown scamper to take a quick lead. Well, yesterday I don't think we did a great job with our execution on third down, which really limited our ability to score points. But we did do some positive things in terms of not turning the ball over um you know the red area was decent so we're doing enough good things you know i think we can certainly do things better and it's just really when i watch the tape it's a lot of little things that add up so we can't get better we can make improvements i mean everyone would love to have Gronk in there he's one of the best players to ever play that position but you know he's not going to be playing for the rest of the year and that's just the reality we're dealing with everyone would love to have him out there but that's just not the way it's going to be so we got to keep fighting on without him, and you know, we've shown a lot of grit this year. We've shown a lot of determination, 
And, uh, you know, we're 10-2, we're in a decent position, and we've got all of our goals still at them. Welcome back to Stretch Run here on ESPN New Hampshire. Jimmy Murphy, your host. Timmy Button's working the boards, filling in for Justin Sullivan. He's, Timmy's liking my music today. If I just uh, introduced him there, that is, in case you don't know who it was, that is the Charm City Saints out of Baltimore, Maryland. So I was looking for a little Baltimore-based music uh, on Google. I don't really know off the top of my head any uh, Baltimore-based bands and what to my wondering eye should appear, but uh, the Charm City Saints, who again, I you know, I was obviously heavy into the music scene when I lived up in Montreal and uh, got into the uh, the punk rock scene there, and I, I met these guys. They played with the Mahones. They opened up for the Mahones in Montreal, and I had a grand time with them there, and did not realize they were from Baltimore. So uh, there you go, Charm City Saints out of Baltimore, and. A team out of Baltimore is headed this way in a few days to take on the New England Patriots, and that is the Baltimore Ravens. And on to talk about that and all things Patriots with us is our good friend Phil A. Perry from Comcast Sportsnet New England. How you doing, Mr. Perry? Doing all right, Jimmy. How are you, my man? I'm good, my man. I'm good. I'm good. And uh, I know that uh, we're going to play a little of it later, um, but obviously with today being the 75th anniversary of Pearl Harbor, I, I know that uh, Bill Belichick is a is very much into history and, and wars and all that. And his dad, you know, obviously coached at Navy. And I, I know that he touched on that today. Uh, what was that like? Yeah, interesting. You know, one of those moments that uh, you don't get at a whole lot of coaches' press conferences, uh, not only in the NFL, but probably across sports, because Belichick is is so uh, willing to, to delve into those kinds of topics, and he mm-hmm. actually thanked uh, Alan Siegel, the reporter who, who asked him the question after. Uh, Al- it was the Alan's very end a great of the pre- guy. Yeah, Alan, Alan's the best, and then, you know, uh, he gave him a little nod as he was walking off the podium today because he just appreciates being able to talk about those things and talk about them publicly when he's so reluctant to talk about a handful of other topics that we're all well aware of. But um, for him to, to get into it, to uh, talk about his dad's memories of that day uh, and his dad, you know, later uh, joining the Navy and traveling to Europe and traveling to Okinawa and it all kind of, um, you know, in a lot of ways stemming from what happened on December 7th, 1941. And so um, I thought it was interesting that, uh, you know, Belichick spent some time today uh, talking to his players about Pearl Harbor and what it meant and not focusing just on the day, which is, you know, what we remember today and, and what happened, um, you know, in Hawaii and what happened to all those families and all the victims and, you know, the uh, the terrible tragedy that it was. But it's the reaction. And I think that's the football coach in Belichick that, that comes out when he does bring up these these kinds of things to his team is, is okay, how can – this benefit us as a group, you know, just the fact that, that people are talking about it today, that we're remembering this today. What can we take away from this as a football team? Right. And for him, it was the response, the country's response, the, the military's response, the civilian response to what happened that day and the strength of it and the success that the country, you know, experienced not only in war, but thereafter, um, and I think, you know, that was that was the central message that he wanted to take away and he wanted to share with his team. Listen, this is a this is as bad as it gets. This is a low point. Um, but you can rally from 
this kind of thing. And obviously, you know, he's not go, ever going to compare football to what um, people went through, uh, you know, back then, 75 years ago. But, you know, it's, the general message, I think, applies for him. And that's why he chose to share it with his team today. I hear you, and I, I think it's good, too. You know, we always, uh, I mean, I've always been appreciative of history, and maybe it comes from my dad, who's much like Belichick, was uh, always that way, and he served as as well. But, um, you know, I, I think that it's important, not just in a, in, a sports, in, a, in a sports sense there, like you said, it's just a life thing. And it's a, I think it's important that a lot of the players that are on the Patriots right now, you know, they're all, what, you know, 22 to... 31 on average, you know, what have you in, in that generation. And that's, that's a long ways away from them. And, and, and they need to understand that's part of their history. And that's part of this country's history and, and the, the magnitude of that day. And um, it, it's good on him to take that upon himself uh, to, to teach them those lessons. So good on him for that. Hey, let's get into this game coming up. And, you know, I, I've said this on the show before. Uh, Phil, a couple times, and we've kind of asked the listeners about it. You know, I'll say, you look at the AFC East, right? And the Patriots have dominated it for so long. And really, since 2011, yeah, the Jets give them a battle, but the Patriots really always beat them. You know, and it's like, who, who is the Patriots' arch rival right now? And, and a lot of the answers we got were the Denver Broncos or the Baltimore Ravens. And that's who the Patriots have coming to town is the Baltimore Ravens. And I wonder if you were to pull, you know, some of the Patriots that have been here for, say, the last five to seven years, uh, if you'd get the same response. Yeah, I think, you know, you'd get a lot of Ravens responses in there, in all honesty, because there's a heat there. There is a, a level of animosity there between the two teams that I think causes it to rise above some of the others, like the Broncos or like even the Colts, you know, even though the, the Patriots have pummeled them over the last handful of years, that you know, mm-hmm. there was certainly a time there where they would have factored into that conversation. It's It started, I think, you know, back in 07, the two teams played uh, just a tremendous Sunday night game against each other, and the Patriots had to scratch and claw to be able to, to hold on to their undefeated record at the time. And you had the boneheaded timeout from, from Rex Ryan, and there was just so much drama in that game. It wasn't a great Ravens team that year, um, but they became great over the next handful of years and, and gave the Patriots a lot of trouble. And there, I would say this, too, about the, the Ravens as it relates to just the, uh, the overall strength of that rivalry that has developed. I think one of the reasons that it's such a strong rivalry is because they, they come to Gillette Stadium and they don't care. They don't care that they are in Bill Belichick and Tom Brady's house, and I think that separates them from a lot of other teams. There are a lot of teams that come here. They understand the Patriots' record here. They, I think they know that they're fighting a losing battle, and it's not that way with the Ravens. And I think part of that stems from their coach, uh, say what you will about John Harbaugh, and he is certainly not without his flaws. And uh, there are a lot of people at Gillette Stadium and in the offices here who would say the same thing. But I think one thing that he does that works well for his team is that he comports himself with a level of arrogance that uh, it permeates that locker room, mm-hmm. and it allows them to come to Gillette Stadium and say, we can beat these guys. We're better than these guys. And there are a lot of teams who, I think, who say that, and, and it's 
it's lip service at times. They come here knowing they can't win. Uh, with the Ravens, that for whatever reason, uh, they believe it, and they've done it, and they've done it in big spots and big games and playoff games. And so, you know, for, you know, all those things combined, you put them all together. You put the, you know, the Deflate Gate factor in there too, um, which obviously I think has ratcheted things up even a, a little bit further. Uh, and this is far and away, this is this is the Patriots, in my opinion, their number one rival right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot there. And, you know, as we're, we're, you're talking there, I'm thinking, I can't, I can't think uh, what happened that was controversial. Do you remember there was a, I want to say it was either a Sunday night or a Monday night game down in Baltimore. Um, and it was the year the Patriots went on. They, not this last time that they lost to the Broncos in the AFC title game in Denver, but the one before when they, they got knocked out. In Denver, that so it was the beginning of that year. It was early on in that season. I can't remember, and it was really it haunted the Patriots. They were they were ticked off for weeks, but I can't remember what happened. Can you? Was this the uh, the Belichick um, grabbing the ref game at the end of the game? Yes. Game? Is that what you're yes. thinking of? Yeah. Well, so that was the one where uh, it, it looked like the field goal, the game winning field goal. That's right. I knew it was a field goal right thing over the top of the, of the field goal post, and it was hard to tell whether it was in or out. And, and Belichick wanted an explanation. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's just been so many moments. And you think about it now, I mean, they haven't played since the 2014 divisional round game. But yeah. there's been so much that's happened since then. And you, it starts with, um, you know, the, the the purported Ravens' involvement in the sparking of the play right. where that's they were right. the ones who had the kicking balls, perhaps, um, messed around with, and their equipment guy got in touch with the Colts, and the Colts get in touch with the league, and then DeQuo Jackson picks off Brady, and we're off and running. And <laughs> so there's not only that, but then there's during that divisional round game, the, the Patriots running the, the formation play yep. that have now <laughs> that since been made illegal. And the fact that the Ravens went on a little bit of a crusade to make those illegal, yeah. that adds to the rivalry. And, you know, Harbaugh saying after that game, well, we should look into this. And Brady saying, well, no, you know what? You actually should check out the rule book and figure that out. And, and just one more thing to add <laughs> from that game. Tom Carr, and then we just talked about this um, for our for our podcast. And I know he's, he's, he's getting into it a little bit tonight on, um, on Sportsnet Central. He spoke to someone in the Patriots locker room today that said that while the formation plays were going on, while Harbaugh was losing his mind and eventually – picking up a 15-yard penalty for unsportsmanlike on the sideline, there were coaches on the Ravens' sideline flipping off the coaches on the Patriots' sideline and them seeing that, and they were almost, you know, from across the field just going at it in, in, in terms of just showing their displeasure with each other. So uh, there's a lot of things there. There's still That's obviously awesome. so many holdovers from that game to this one. Um, you know, I know Bill Belichick said some really nice things about John Harbaugh and Ozzie Newsom on his his conference call with Baltimore reporters today, but I, I would say that may not necessarily be indicative of the the depth of the uh, hatred that there is for uh, for the Ravens from the Patriots and vice versa. God, now I'm pumped up for this game. You know, there's not enough of that in the NFL. There really is, and I feel like it, it it's been disappearing slowly out of the league, and and that's. Just to hear that stuff, it, it's good to see. It's good for sports, and, and it's going to make for an exciting Monday night football as opposed to the game we just saw a couple nights ago. Oh, 100%. 100%. It's, it's just, uh, you know, I think you're right. There's there's too much of the, uh, I know in basketball it's the AAU, um, <laughs> you know, 
situation where yeah. you know, everybody play, everybody grew up playing together, and so they all like each other, and so there's no hatred between teams in general. Yeah. Um, but I think in, in football, and particularly when you're talking about this team, I think there's just, because everybody's gunning for them, and everybody is, is looking for a way, however they can, to beat them or to catch them doing something they shouldn't be doing. Uh, I think there is plenty of emotion around the league when it comes to this Patriots team. And uh, there's there's no more emotional group than John Harbaugh and his boys. I hear you, my friend. Well, listen, Phil, enjoy that game and uh, enjoy the emotion of it as well. And uh, we will get you on down the line. We appreciate you taking the time, all right? All right, thanks for having me, Jimmy. Take care, man. All right, Phil A. Perry from Comcast Sportsnet New England joining us here on the Stretch Run on ESPN New Hampshire. As promised, the final hour is going to be all about Bruins Capitals. Uh, we will not have a pregame, so this will essentially serve as your pregame uh, for the Bruins Capitals here on ESPN New Hampshire. And joining us in the next segment will be longtime radio play-by-play man and a, a favorite of our man Timmy Buttons here. That is John Walton. Uh, the Washington Capitals play-by-play man in the next segment here in the Stretch Run. Stay with us.